Thank you. Hadn't it been good to be in church tonight and just encouraging the songs that uh, we sang and, and uh, then that special, just I like church and like it more and more all the time. I, I need church and uh, need to be here, need you, and uh, we need, uh, need each other. And so I'm grateful that uh, you're faithful and uh, it's really, really such a blessing. Uh, introduce Andres, so good to have you and good to meet you. Welcome tonight here to Valley Bible Baptist. Failed to introduce you earlier, but uh, we're grateful uh, that you're here tonight. And uh, I also want to uh, just mention uh, the, uh, the prayer and the fasting. Uh, we continue to receive uh, these slips back. Uh, many of you committing to fasting and uh, just giving uh, a period of time in uh, prayer and uh, various things that you're seeking. And one of the things that I, I want to encourage all of you do, uh, to do as we head towards the missions conference is I, I would encourage all of you to pray toward that end. I, I don't think we have long left. And uh, I believe what we do, we must do quickly. Uh, I don't think we have long left in, in order to uh, reach our world before Jesus Christ returns. And uh, it's not time to shrink back. And I really uh, pray that as the, the uh, vision of our conference would be, Lord, enlarge our vision. And I want you to pray to that end. And those of you that are, are fasting, if you would uh, just uh, pray in that end or to that end for the conference, that God would enlarge our vision and uh, ask all of us to pray to that end. Uh, to, we'll look forward to this uh, missions conference. Mark chapter 12, would you stand with me as we open the word of God this evening? Again, I'm very grateful. I don't, I don't take it uh, for granted, your, your presence here, just the faithfulness of the folks. Uh, service after service really uh, means so much, and uh, I, I appreciate much here. Uh, Mark chapter 12, beginning at verse number 1, And he began to speak unto them by parables, A certain man planted a vineyard, and set an hedge about it, and digged a place for the wine fat, and built a tower, and let it out to husbandmen, and went into a far country. And at the season he sent to the husbandman a servant, that he might receive from the husbandman of the fruit of the vineyard. And they caught him and beat him and sent him away empty. And again he sent unto them another servant, and at him they cast stones and wounded him in the head and sent him away shamefully handled. And again he sent another, and him they killed, and many others beating some, killing some. Having yet therefore one son, his well-beloved, he sent him also last unto them, saying, They will reverence my son. But those husbandmen said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance shall be ours. And they took him, and killed him, and cast him out of the vineyard. What shall therefore the Lord of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the husbandmen, and will give the vineyard unto others." And have you not read this scripture, the stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner? And this is the Lord's doing, it is marvelous in our eyes. And they sought to lay hold on him, but feared the people, for they knew that he had spoken the parable against them, and they left him and went their way. Uh, this is the parable of uh, the vineyard. It's also the, the parable known as the parable of the, of the unfaithful tenants. But I want to, to look at this tonight, that there, there are many truths out of this parable. Uh, but uh, for, for me, there's, there's one truth that just continues to permeate throughout this parable. And I think it permeates the heart and life of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and I want to just give this, this thought tonight, how deep is the Father's love? And I think as we open up the scriptures here tonight and just look at this particular parable 
the love of the Father becomes so prevalent, so evident in this parable. I'd like us to go to the Lord in prayer this evening. Father, we thank you for your presence here tonight. I thank you, Lord, for these songs. We've been encouraged, uh, just these songs about your guidance in our lives and uh, that you lead us and, Lord, you direct us, you guide us, and uh, you plan it all. And, Lord, every detail is in your hands. And thank you, Lord, that you work all things together for good to those that love you. I pray, Lord, you would take our thoughts and our hearts tonight and help us to have ears to hear this evening. I pray that you would give us truth that would be of eternal value, something that would make a difference in our life. And, Lord, as, as we open the Word of God, we know that you, by your Spirit, must take that Word and direct it to the very needs of each person. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated this evening. And uh, just to, to get the, the background, I want to review uh, and, and just gain the context here of our, of our scripture. It's evident at this point or by this time in the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ that things are very quickly coming to a head between Christ and the religious leaders. And ultimately, by the end of this week that we're in, uh, the Passion Week of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the end of that week, it will culminate in the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you go back with me just a moment, we've done this often, but go back to chapter 10. And in chapter 10, verse number 32, uh, we see here that Jesus set his sights toward Jerusalem. Chapter 10, verse 32, and they were in the way going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus went before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid, and he took again the twelve, began to tell them what things should happen unto him, saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered into the chief priests, unto the scribes, they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles, they shall mock him, shall scourge him, shall spit upon him, shall kill him, and the third day he shall rise again. And uh, one of the really amazing things here, I think it is proof of the Lord's love, it's proof of his uh, heart towards, uh, uh, towards Jerusalem, that he willingly laid down his life. And so he knew before he ever entered Jerusalem the things that would befall him. We come to chapter 11, and in chapter 11, Jesus entered into Jerusalem. And we saw this as the triumphal entry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here, the Lord Jesus came as their king. Uh, he sets in motion the final week of his life here upon this earth, leading to the crucifixion. Uh, the, the, the fact uh, he fulfilled Bible prophecy, uh, but they were blinded to those prophecies. They rejected their king. And then two major events uh, take place in chapter 11 uh, that illustrate things coming to a conclusion. First of all is the cursing of the fig tree. Uh, coming into Jerusalem on the second day, uh, the Lord Jesus saw a fig tree. Uh, he was hungry. He went to the fig tree looking for fruit but found only leaves. Uh, that's an illustration uh, as he came into Jerusalem looking for fruit from the Jewish nation. He was looking for faith. He was looking for repentance. He was looking for a relationship. He found only the leaves. He found formalism. He found religion, ceremonies, made up laws without the truth of God. And so that illustrated the culmination of the events of this week. And we see also the cleansing of the temple. Look in Mark chapter 11 and verse number 15. 
And it reads here, and he began, uh, or they went up to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple, and overthrew the tables of the money changers, the seats of them that sold doves. Now the chief priests and the scribes, the elders, wanted to know by what authority Jesus did those things, casting out uh, the wickedness from the temple. And Jesus responded, asking them a question. Uh, the baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? Now, they were trapped. They refused to answer that question. And as a result, Jesus said to them, neither do I answer this question. Now, this is coming to a head. Now, verse 12, or chapter 12 and verse number 1. And he began to speak unto them by parables. And this first parable that we're dealing with tonight illustrated the conflict between Jesus and and the religious leaders. It's the parable of the vineyard. Uh, it is also a parable that is taken largely from Isaiah chapter 5. And it relates the vineyard that the Lord planted to the nation of Israel. And here in this case it's the application to those things which God has given to that nation. It's a parable of the unfaithful tenants. The nation uh, was not faithful to that which God had given unto them. And the result of this parable, as Jesus told this parable, again look in verse number 12. In verse number 12, they sought to lay hold on him. And it's evident their desire is to slay Jesus, to kill Jesus, to rid themselves of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can see this so well put before us in this parable that Jesus tells. I see this parable tonight, and this is how I want to relate it to us. It's a parable of the Father's great love for Israel. There are many truths in this parable. We'll deal with some of them, but I think permeating this parable is the love of God. What we see in this parable is an unconditional, unearned, undeserved, unending, amazing love of God for His nations. One of the the attributes of God is the omnibenevolent nature of God. Now, I think if, if we were to find one characteristic that would describe God, I, I would have to say that God is holy. And I, I believe all of the other attributes of God center around the holiness of God. But one of the attributes of God is His omnibenevolent nature. God is love. First uh, John chapter 4, verse number 8, over and over and over the truth of God's love is proven through the Word of God. Now what you find of the love of God, though God loved His nation, uh, He dealt with that nation. And let me just state here tonight, uh, before we get into this, that the Lord had an everlasting covenant with this nation. It's a covenant that will never be broken. And what we find in that relationship that God must chasten, He must discipline that nation, but He never ultimately casts that nation out of His sight. He's not finished with that nation yet. And there is a testimony to you and I here tonight that if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have an everlasting covenant with the Lord, and the Lord will never break that covenant. Uh, what you'll find is that God must deal with sin. God cannot and will not let you uh, 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 have a way with sin or apart from, from Him. He'll never prosper that in your life, but He never lets go of His children, just as He never let go 
of this nation. We're going to see that this evening. Now, I, I'm going to give you four aspects of this love through this parable as we break it down. First of all, there's the love of his preparation. Let me show you what I mean. Chapter 12, verse number 1. In chapter 12, verse number 1, he began to speak unto them by parables. And here is this parable. A certain man planted a vineyard, and set a hedge about it, digged a place for the wine fat, built a tower, and let it out to husbandmen, went into a far country. In this particular account here, this man planting the vineyard went to great lengths to prepare this vineyard. He put in hedge about the vineyard and hedge of protection. He digged a place for the wine fat. He built a tower and then he lent that vineyard out to husbandmen. Now this vineyard represents all that God did for his nation of Israel. And again, this parable is based on Isaiah's account in Isaiah chapter 5. And I would encourage you, we don't have time to, to delve into that tonight, but I would encourage you to read the first part of Isaiah chapter 5. And you can see the, the close comparisons to this particular parable the Lord, the Lord gave. Now, the Lord put in great preparation for this nation. We find that the Lord chose Israel as a nation. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verses 6 through 8. God said to this nation, for thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord had chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people. For you were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn to your fathers, had the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you and the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Now it's evident as you read the Bible, Israel did not earn God's love. They did not deserve God's love. They did not earn God's grace. It was God's grace. It was a grace that was freely given. We find that God chose Abraham. God separated Abraham from the nations. God said, Abraham, I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to give you a people. I'm going to make of you a great nation. And through that nation, I'm going to bless all the families of the earth. That was God's promise. That was God's covenant with Abraham. God said to Abraham, I will bless them that bless thee. I will curse him that curseth thee. That's God's word to Abraham. God took that nation into the land of Egypt when they were but small, but few in number. There in the land of Egypt, despite the persecution, God multiplied that nation. And then in God's perfect timing, God sent the deliverer Moses to deliver that nation out of the land of Egypt. And God did so by a strong and mighty arm. We know that God worked the miracles and God sent the plagues and, and then God took them uh, through the Red Sea and God buried the armies of Pharaoh in the Red Sea. God worked a mighty miracle as he parted that sea. Uh, then God took that nation into the wilderness and there in the wilderness God provided for them. His presence there was with them a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. God gave them water from the rock and manna from heaven. He supplied their needs and throughout the wilderness God protected them and then God brought them to the land and God gave them a land. In that land, he planted them, his vineyard. 
He put an hedge about them. He blessed them. He made them fruitful. He gave them a purpose. He said that purpose is that they would bring to the world the Messiah, the gospel of Jesus Christ. He gave his word to that nation. He gave his law. He gave all of the principles of his word to that nation, that that nation might be a testimony to all the nations of the world of God's power. I want to relate tonight to you and I for just a moment. Every one of us could give testimony tonight of God's great love to us. If you're saved tonight, you didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. It was God's grace. You could relate tonight the blessings that God has given to you. The prayers that He has answered. The word that He's blessed you with. God has made you, just as He did His nation, a steward of His word of his gifts, a steward of his possessions, a steward of his calling in your life. I say this to Valley Bible Baptist Church. In this sense, God has called us out of the world. He's called us as a family. He's called us to serve him. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. But I can say tonight, God's been good to us, Valley Bible Baptist. He's blessed us with so much. We can give testimony of His deliverance, of His protection, vision. We could say of the Lord, what a love, what a great love. And, and God has gone to great detail to redeem us and to give us a purpose and a calling. And He's given to us a commission and He's entrusted us with that commission to take the gospel into all the world and to glorify the name of the Father. I want to call that God's love in His preparation. But then as we move on in this parable, Mark chapter 12, we can also see a love in his persistence. See, God had great expectations for this nation. They were stewards of his vineyard. He committed the vineyard unto them. He had entrusted much to them. There's a principle in the word of God to whom God has entrusted much, much is required. Much is expected. You notice in verse number 2, and it reads, And at the season he sent to the husbandman a servant, that he might receive from the husbandman of the fruit of the vineyard. Now this would make sense. This husbandman went into a far country, uh, and in that far country, when the timing came for the fruit of the vineyard, he sent his servant, and of that servant he requested fruit. From the vineyard. But you read that Israel rejected God's authority in their lives. They were ungrateful for what God had done. They were unthankful for His love, ungrateful for His many blessings. In verse number three of that servant, they caught him and beat him and sent him away empty. Can you imagine the audacity? This vineyard was not their vineyard. They were entrusted with that vineyard. But when fruit was requested by the husbandman, they rejected the servant, beat him, sent him away. But I want you to notice the persistence here, or the persistence of the, of the husbandman representing the persistence of God. In verse number 4, Israel rejected the first servant. They beat him, sent him away, but God sent another. And again, he sent unto them another servant. And again, they rejected that servant. 
And at him they cast stones. And you will notice as they treated each of these servants, their treatment became worse and worse. Uh, They wounded him in the head. They sent him away shamefully handled, this time hurting him severely. God sent the third servant in verse 5. And again, he sent another and him they killed. Can you imagine uh, really the, the lack of of graciousness, the lack of gratefulness uh, unto the husbandman that had been so good to them. They killed this third servant. That continued, verse number 5. He says, and many others, beating some, killing some. Now, can you imagine the the persistence here of this husbandman? Uh, After the first, he had every right to cast them completely out of the vineyard. But he continued persistently seeking their hearts. They continued to reject, and after all that God had done, after all of his deep love. Now the picture is this, God loved this nation, but they did not love him in return. God sent his prophets to this nation. We're reading in the the Sunday school hour through the book of Jeremiah. And in the book of Jeremiah, we see that this nation turned to idolatry. We see in the book of Jeremiah that this nation rejected the principles of God's word. This nation persisted in their own path, in their own plan. And this nation rejected Jeremiah, rejected all of the prophets that went before Jeremiah and after Jeremiah. This nation resisted. They killed many of the prophets. They broke the heart of God. But it did not change God's deep love for the nation. I want to keep your place here in Mark. Uh, But I'd like to look at a couple of scriptures that tell this story. Go with me to the book of Acts, chapter 7. This is in the life of Stephen. Uh, As Stephen later preaches to the leadership of this nation in Jerusalem. In Acts, chapter 7, verse 51, here's Stephen as he preaches. He says to this nation, to these people, to these leaders, you stiff-necked. And uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and the murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels, and have not kept it. And we read on in this passage of Scripture that just as they turned against the prophets in old time, they turned against Stephen, they stoned Stephen, uh, they uh, laid their clothing at the foot of, foot of Saul, and uh, they stoned Stephen, and we know the story there of Stephen as the Lord Jesus stood to welcome him into heaven. Uh, go with me to Hebrews chapter 11, another scripture that describes this nation and its treatment of the prophets. The chapter of the Bible. Hebrews chapter 11, we come to the end of the chapter. In verse number 35, we read others in the middle of the verse, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn of sunder, that would be Isaiah the prophet. They were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins, goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. This describes that nation's treatment of the prophets that God sent their way. 
But do you notice that God persisted? His love for that nation, His desire to call that nation to repentance and to a relationship with Him. Back in Mark chapter 12, I see here a love of His very presence. In verse number 6, Mark chapter 12. After sending all the prophets, we read verse 6. Having yet therefore one son, his well-beloved, he sent him also last unto them, saying, They will reverence my son. The Bible says God hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. His son was his final word to that nation. God sent his son. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Uh, the greatest love, God gave his best. That's the love that God had for this nation. Yes, they despised his prophets. They rejected his prophets. They beat his prophets. They his prophets. But God said, now I'm going to send my son. Surely they will receive the son, the only begotten they will reverence my son. Now, I, I want to just point out uh, one thought here just, just in passing. Do you realize that in giving this parable that Jesus is claiming sonship? He's claiming messiahship? He's claiming deity? You see, he's more than a prophet. He's not like the other prophets. There are the cults and the Sikhs and various ones today. They, they say that Jesus is nothing more than a prophet. Uh, that he is no different than Muhammad or Buddha or one of the other prophets. There are many paths to God. No, I, I submit to you that Jesus is the Son. He, he's the, the reverenced one. He's the one sent from God. Uh, he's God's Word. He's the Word of God. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He's different than the others. He's God. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. I want you to look in Mark chapter 12, verse number 7. He says, but those husbandmen said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance shall be ours. And they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. What shall therefore the Lord of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the husbandmen and will give the vineyard unto others. They killed the son, think about this, they killed the son, they might the vineyard but do you see what happened in killing the son they lost the vineyard it's a great lesson see so often men are not willing to render unto God the fruit that he deserves and the fruit that he desires we're stewards our life doesn't belong to us the Lord looks for fruit from our life it doesn't belong to us our possessions they're not our possessions they're his possessions our time, our treasures, our talents, all are His. And, and do you see the principle? When we claim for ourselves what is rightfully His, we lose it all. What we keep for ourselves, we lose. What we give unto Him, we gain. This is the principle. Now, I want you to, to see a thought here in verse number 9. What shall therefore the Lord of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the husbandman. And we know that we see the nation of Israel that in 70 A.D. the Titus and the Roman armies came against that nation. 
they cast that nation out of the vineyard. They cast that nation out. Uh, they were scattered literally to the four winds of the earth, scattered all over the world. And they have been scattered uh, mostly until this day. Now we know in 1948, Israel again became a nation. And we're going to see here in the end, again, this is God's wonderful, marvelous, and great love for this nation. Despite all this nation has done to God, that generation was cast out of the vineyard. But God's not through with the vineyard. God's still at work with that vineyard. There's a love of his preparation. He prepared the nation. He prepared the land. He did great works. There's a love in his persistence. When they rebelled, he sent his prophets to this nation. Uh, they killed the prophets. They slew the prophets. They cast the prophets out of the vineyard. There's the love of his person. God himself left the glory of heaven and came to that nation. I want to give one final thought that I think sums this up when you see what the Lord lays down. There's the love of His purpose and the love of His plan. I'm so thankful tonight that the ways of God are so high and far above the ways of man. We'll never grasp all of God's wisdom and God's great ability to take that which would seem impossible and do the miracle of salvation through man's failure. You'll see when man fails the most, God and his wonderful wisdom and his marvelous love are most manifest, the love of his purpose. You see, it's evident that Jesus coming to the vineyard willingly laid down his life. That was his plan. He gave himself. In verse number 10, he says, have you not read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. Do you realize as Jesus is giving this parable, he's prophesying and predicting his own death? Verse 8, they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. This is before they crucified him. In verse number 9, what shall therefore the Lord of the vineyard do? He'll come and destroy the husband and he's prophesying that this nation is going to be cast out to the uttermost parts of the earth. Have you not read the scripture, the stone which the builders rejected? He knew all of the prophecies concerning himself, and yet do you see he continued to go forward? They didn't take his life. He gave his life. You see, in quoting this prophecy, he was predicting his own death. Why did he do it? Well, may I say to you tonight, it was necessary. It was the only way. There was no other way. You see, there had to be a blood sacrifice. He had to give himself. Not only for that nation, but he had to give himself for you and I. The Bible says in verse number 9, he will come and destroy the husbandman. He would cast out that nation at that time. But notice the statement in verse number 9, and will give the vineyard to others. Do you realize that we are now in the day of grace? We are now in the church age. And we are in this day that the Lord, in this sense, has given the vineyard unto others. And in the Old Testament, this church age was not seen. And we live in this day now, this day of grace, this time when God has given to you and I this task, this ministry of giving the gospel to a lost and dying world. 
See, his death would end in victory. Now, notice the statement again in verse number 10. The stone which the builders rejected, notice the next part, is become the head of the corner. He could state that because up from the grave he would rise. Death could not hold him. Death could not defeat him. In chapter 2 of the book of Philippians, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death. But it doesn't end. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And every tongue should confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, given a name which is above every name. That name of Jesus, wonderful name. You see that death ended in victory. Uh, the way down, the way of the cross was the way up, the way to victory, resurrection, victory, and salvation. Now notice something, chapter 12, verse number 11. It says this was the Lord's doing. This nothing man could ever figure out. It was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. That was God's plan. That was God's purpose. See, without his death, there was no salvation. Now, they did not know it. They were rejecting the Lord, the prince, the king. They were blinded to his very purpose. Do you realize slaying their king? The means of their salvation was provided. <laughs> Makes no sense to us. How God could take the failure of man, but in that failure of man, God would bring victory out of the failure. I say that's evidence of a love that's beyond our comprehension tonight. Uh, if this were mankind working out this plan of salvation, a man would have given up after the first rejection. When the first prophet was cast out, man would have given up, but God persisted. He sent another prophet and another prophet and another prophet, and he sent his son, and when his son was rejected, he wasn't finished. It was that rejection that became their means of salvation. I want to show this to you. Look with me at Acts chapter 2. After the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he ascended into heaven. In Acts chapter 2, along comes the day of Pentecost. And on the day of Pentecost, Peter and the apostles preached. In Acts chapter 2, verse number 22, notice the words of Peter. He says, you men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. And being delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by wicked hands, have crucified and slain. But that wasn't the end. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Verse 37, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter, the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And you know the story that on that day, 3,000 trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and they followed him in believer's baptism. You see, the very means 
by which they thought they had defeated God became the means of their salvation. Notice in chapter 5 and verse number 14 of Acts. It says, And believers were the more added to the Lord multitudes both of men and of women. These are mostly Jews that are being saved. We go on to Acts chapter number 6, and here's something that is amazing in verse number 7. And it says, And the word of God increased, and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. Notice this next statement. And a great company of the priests were obedient unto the faith. Now, do you understand that the very ones that hollered, Crucify Him, crucify Him, that multitudes of them turned to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Only God could work such a marvelous plan. And I see in this parable the marvelous, wonderful love of Jesus. Now, I want to give a challenge tonight. God has given to you in one sense a vineyard. He's given to you a calling. He's given to you a purpose. And He expects of you to be faithful and a good steward of that. And surely in the midst of it you can see God's great love. There's the love of His preparation. He's entrusted you with much, hasn't He? He's been good to you. He's given to you a vineyard. There's the love of His persistence. Aren't you grateful that He doesn't give up? Aren't you grateful that He speaks the second time and the third time? Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful in marriage that He doesn't give up? Amen. He continues to work with you over and over. And there's the love of His presence. He gave Himself for us. And then the love of His purpose. His death gave us the victory, the very purpose of God. What a deep love. And it's so evident through this parable. Let's bow our heads tonight. Go